Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. So whether you are a startup or an established company, one of the things that you do need to focus on is the value proposition of your device product development efforts. And I have a real expert on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast on this topic, and it's Scott Phillips. Scott is a CEO with Starfish Medical, and we dive into this topic Compare and contrast, you know, the startup lens versus the established company lens, and and I, th- I think you're really going to like this. So enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. I'm really happy about today's guest. I've been a big fan of his and his company's work for quite some time. Joining me is Scott Phillips, CEO of Starfish Medical. Scott, welcome. Thanks so much, John. It's a pleasure to be on your show. So before we dive too deep into our conversation today, um, maybe give people a a little bit of a perspective of your background in Starfish Medical and more specifically how Starfish Medical can be an asset or a resource to help them. Sure. So Starfish Medical, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, which means I'm not as young as I used to be. And we are a contract product development uh, company specializes in the med tech vertical. We like complex electromechanical devices of all different kinds of types, diagnostic instruments, some surgical devices, some uh, biotech uh, uh, assay kind of things, variety. We've about a, we have about 140 staff uh, headquartered in Victoria, Canada, with another uh, regional office in Toronto. So we cover both east and west of the continent, and we, we work with clients primarily in North America. All right. I appreciate that. And folks, go to starfishmedical.com to certainly learn more about some of the projects and, and the things that the team has done there and, and a little bit more about Scott and, and others from Starfish Medical. Really a, a great company making a difference uh, in the industry. Uh, and 20 years, it's no small feat. So congratulations on that, Scott. Thank you. It's a little shocking. Uh, time Time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know, I was I was reminiscing that uh, twenty uh, years ago. Next month, I went to make the first pitch for uh, for this new concept company, and uh, because of that, and the doctor was so fascinating to talk to, and so uh, insistent that I spend time with him that I was late to my mom's sixtieth birthday. So, it's a, oh no! So this wow. year we'll be celebrating her eightieth birthday at the same time as. Uh, <laughs> Well, tell her happy birthday. Um, Thank you so much. So, so you and I were catching up the other day, and and we started diving into a topic, and I'm like, you know, this would be perfect for for the the global medical device podcast. And the the I guess the title or the top level idea is medical device product development value proposition. Yes. But more specifically, talking about there's kind of a yin and a yang that's happening whether on this topic, the value prop as to whether or not you're a startup or whether or not you're an established company. I mean, those, those things matter or what, what creates value matters very, very much so depending on, on your state of company. So 
maybe yeah. give a little bit of background on, sure. on the value proposition from a startup yeah, sure. perspective and then maybe from an established company perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe let me generalize value proposition a little bit. So, you know, what does the company value, right? And what does the project sponsor value? So a startup company at its very essence is trying to have an impact, but the entrepreneur, the founder, uh, wants to create something really valuable and wants to own a bunch of it. And that second part gets blown up so many times by not having the right priorities in the right direction. It doesn't really matter if you sell your company for $100 million if you only own half a percent by then because you've had some hiccups uh, along the way, which, which do happen quite a lot. So I think the, the, the stage really gets set in that first raising money in the sort of sub $5 million value range is when your trajectory of dilution gets set. So, uh, and then of course that relates to your market value proposition because you know that's what people are going to be buying into. Um, but you know, you know, the, the needs of companies are a little particular. You know, some companies are super strong technically. Other ones are super strong in terms of market research. Other ones are really strong clinically. So the way that we can complement them is a little different. To, but uh, I, I can talk a little bit later about what does it mean to build a whole enterprise whose mission is to have other companies be successful on their own terms and making sure that we do that in a lean, super efficient way. All right. So let's let's dive into this this idea of uh, equity preservation. So. Uh, and maybe use a hypothetical or not so hypothetical scenario. So I'm a startup and I've got an idea and I need capital. I mean, obviously to bring any medical device to market, there there is some capital that's going to be involved. And I'm, I'm trying to you know, raise the right amount of capital, you know, in line with my current value proposition. And I want to preserve equity. What are some of the things that that a startup should be considering or ways that they might be able to do that. Great. So one of the things is to be skeptical of advice. <laughs> I'm telling you this advice to be skeptical of other people's advice. And, <laughs> and <laughs> what, what I mean by that is everybody sees the world through their own lens, right? You go talk to an IP attorney and it's, and the most important thing you can be spending money is on, on is IP. You go talk to a regulatory consultant. The most important thing is to get your regulatory strategy figured out. Go talk to a human factors expert. The most important thing is to understand uh, the human factors implication usability because that will drive adoption. You talk to the technology people and they'll say the most important thing is to get the technology figured out or supply chain people or manufacturing people all have their own view and they're all completely right. Um, however, you have a limited number of dollars and you got, you know, if, if those people, those people's ask uh, adds up to you know, $10 and you only have $2, then how do you allocate the money, right? So, um, you know, that's the actual situation everybody's in. They'd love to, to, to understand all those things as deep as possible. So there's, there's a couple answers. One of them is risk. Like what are the things that are actually going to be a risk, but not just risk of you know, patient injury, but risk to the program and try to address those ones first. And particularly, uh, with an eye towards what will drive your next round's value, right? The, the weird thing about equity finance startups is that a dollar today is way more expensive than a dollar next year. That's just, you know, the yeah. corporate, when we get to the corporate, it's a, it's a different animal. But in the startup world, 
you know, if you're raising money at a million dollars valuation and two years from now you'd be raising at $10 million valuation, then a dollar, all you really care about is a share, right? So a dollar two years from now, it's actually worth 10 times less than a dollar today. And uh, so things that seem efficient from an overall program dollars actually don't make sense when you think of it that way. What you need to be doing is just brutally focused on, focus on the things that your investors will value in the next round. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I've talked to a lot of companies and, you know, frankly, sometimes they're, they're very early stage and, and they are talking to me uh, from a quality management system perspective and obviously Greenlight Sales and EQMS software platform. And my advice to them is, are they ready for that? I mean, don't, don't mishear me. There are elements or, or behaviors that one can engage in and put in place, even when you're early on, especially when it comes to good design and development, product development practices and product risk management practices that, that you can engage in. But you know, to, to invest in a full QMS when you haven't, when you're not capitalized, and when you haven't reduced it to practice, and, and you're not at the, you know the appropriate stage of your company, that's not a good investment. That's very true. That's that's exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah. Because if your if your next round investors are going to ask you uh, whether you've been audited to to uh, ISO thirteen forty five, then you should then you need to do something. If that's not where you are, then you know kick that can down the road. Yeah, there's time to do those things right later. Yeah, uh, and right now is when you're going to blow your brains out on equity. <laughs> well, and, and I think this this concept of um, of an MVP, and I don't know if everybody listening is familiar with the the acronym MVP, at least as it relates to product development. But that that MVP methodology and lean methodologies those uh, have a lot of value, especially for for early stage startups. Yeah, so that's that's quite interesting. This all this language is sort of the lean startup, uh, Eric Reese and Alex Osterwalder and those guys, and uh, and it was all this. It, it comes from internet type startups, right? Is the uh, and the idea that you build a mock-up of your product and then you see how many people try to buy it, basically, right? And uh, so there's kind of a, a school of thought in medtech for a long time that. Well, that's well, all well and good in the internet type businesses, but it doesn't really apply to us because we got this regulatory barrier. You can't just start trying to sell a hip implant and see who, who buys it or an ultrasound machine. Uh, that kind of beside the point because really it's what are the things that you can do to demonstrate that you've addressed the critical risks. And, and I think to their uh, benefit, some a lot of the risks in a uh, product development is, is whether the market will actually buy them, right? And we don't have the luxury yeah. of seeing whether whether people will give you cash for them today or not. That's unfortunate, but we can do a lot of a lot of things where we can give mock-ups to people, let them try them. Depending on the risk, we can let them try them on volunteers or and so on. That doesn't, you know, it's a complicated world sometimes. You can't sure. test a heart valve. You can't test a heart valve on people, but you can test an ultrasound imager on people or on on animals or something. Whatever right. you can do to efficiently get the risks out. We were working on a project in the dental area uh, last year. We were talking to some of their advisory board members, and it was uh, so interesting to uh, to to realize that you know the, the big valuation milestone for them was going to be on clinical, and so the whole discussion shifted to 
how do we get uh, uh, the most, what's the most efficient path we can get to for clinical? Because you know, then you'll be able to raise money at tens of millions of dollars value. And you can even redo some of the things that we did in the early stage. The most important thing is that if, you know, at the end of the day, if you can have a company that you own 20% of instead of 1%, you know, that's a whole different view of the world. You're the one taking all the risk and taking all the initiative and the emotional burden of building it. So, yeah. So, so the other important thing to understand about MVP is that as it was originally proposed, it's not actually a product. And a lot of people get confused about that. It's actually a version. It's a, it's a, it's a concept for a product more than it's a product. And, and so it's something that can be rapidly changed. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that, that um, actually the, the MVP approach is something that when we started Greenlight, that we, we employed as we were getting started, you know, the, for us, the, sort of that first MVP was a series of workflows and wireframes and screenshots. Right. Uh, and we, once we got some market acceptance of that, then we you know, moved to the next step in building beta software and so on and so forth. But even the, the, the concept or the approach uh, has merit in um, intangible uh, uh, medical devices. I mean, I'll, I'll tell or share a short story about one of my very early experiences as a product development engineer, you know, getting to work with clinicians and, and they draw things literally on cocktail napkin sketches sometimes, or uh, I would say uh, some of the more mechanically inclined physicians I worked with would actually grab parts and pieces, uh, you know, from their office or from that they found around the hospital and they would glue things and tape things together and they would basically give, give me a prototype, an early stage prototype. Um, you know, I, I guess that is an MVP model. And then the next uh, iteration might be go down the 3D prototyping or maybe before that, maybe do some 3D rendering and, and things of that nature. So there's a whole level of quote prototyping or quote products that one can engage in. And each one of them, don't just do prototyping for the sake of prototyping, but the the, the idea behind uh, various MVPs or various levels of product, various levels of prototypes, each one of them, is for the, the purpose of learning something. Yeah, you have a hypothesis and this is your experiment. Right? So, and you write down what your hypothesis is and you write down the results of the experiment. And that's, and that basically you can think of, I think a startup company and particularly in med tech as a series of experiments, right? And you're, you're trying to figure out, can you figure out a value proposition that works? And can you figure out a market that, we, that it's properly aligned for? Um, and of course, there's the technology questions, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we can, we have a framework that we use when we're starting to work with a, with a company. Uh, we call it Pathfinder. It basically works its way through a series of about uh, 12 different uh, functional areas. And uh, we just, we ask people, you know, what, what's your IP situation? What's, you know, what's, what are your, who are you trying to sell to? And why are they going to use it? And why is it better than they're doing now? Why is it better enough that they're going to retrain all the nurses? And, and, and is the person spending the money going to get the benefit? And is the technology baked? Like, can you actually make it? And uh, if you were to service it in the field, what that, what that mean? And what are the human factors aspects of it? Do you have a reimbursement strategy? Uh, what's your consumable strategy? 
Uh, do you understand what margins you need to make your money, your product go? So it's, it's kind of funny when we work through those things because we're a product design company. And sometimes people come expecting that they're going to give us, yeah. we'll expect them to give them a very, give us a very detailed specification and then we will quote to fulfill that specification. But as we go through some of those questions, it becomes clear that that would be doing them a disservice to die yeah. that way. We would we'd be much better off to help them work through some of those questions based on our 20 years of experience so that when they give us a spec, we can actually develop it together and then we can actually help them uh, have a product that people will actually use and they will make enough margin that somebody will want to buy it for money at the end of it and so on. Yeah, so you're you're really the Starfish team is really helping these these early stage companies not just advance the product, but but you're helping them build a sound business. Yeah, like we're so, we're kind of like like business consultants that do design, right? So, yeah, and that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's, it's a lot of fun. It actually, uh, we may can talk about this after, but it's it's a uh, it forces a certain kind of training, certain kind of cultural. Uh, orientation of the company to 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 allow us to have a whole team of 140 people all of whom whose mission in life is to have our clients be successful more so than to just do a uh, you know to meet a spec yeah that's really really cool um you know of course we could probably sit here and tell all kinds of horror stories all day about um when things go bad but before we jump to um um, you know, the value proposition from a, the lens of an established company, I guess just one thing that comes to mind, I, I, um, I hear a lot uh, the sort of the rush to get first and human type of, of studies. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I just more times than not, it, it scares me because there's what I observe and, and what I hear from these conversations is really a lot of bad business. And I don't know if you have any comments or experiences that you would want to share on that topic. Uh, we do <laughs> have lots and lots of stories, as you can imagine. You know, it's it's all about risk, right? If you're doing surgery on somebody, or you're implanting something in their body, or you're you know, obviously the risks are very high. If you're taking an ultrasound image of them, it's not very high at all. As long as you make sure there's not enough energy to cause tissue damage, there's almost there's nothing wrong that could happen. Almost. We did have. I remember when uh, one one client was. We were doing an ingestible product. This you know had some automation features and so on. But the the, the first prototype, they wanted it to 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 try it on somebody. <laughs> yeah. And. Uh, you know, we did our own risk assessments, nothing that yeah. everything's biocompatible, but even so you can you know, do, do you set up a formal test or not? And, uh, and so actually I end up being the first clinical test subject. Oh, I find that actually that's, that's not that I'm volunteering this to you. <laughs> I will be your test subject. But very often if you have a clinical researcher as a, uh, as a, as a startup entrepreneur, they'll often do things on themselves. It's, it's kind, yeah. of a, kind of a normal thing. But, you know, there, there, there is a very strong ethical, the IRB, the sort of institutional review boards that institutions have, you know, some of them are more conservative than others, but it's, it's, a, it's actually a great mechanism to force you to think through all the ways that your uh, optimistic entrepreneurial thing could hurt somebody, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. We, <laughs> you 
Sure has story reminded me of a call we had a few years ago. I, I won't go into grave detail about the product, but let's just say when the lady was talking to us, she's like, oh yeah, I'm wearing it right now. And, and I got a bunch of my friends that are wearing it right now. And this is like an electromechanical device that, well, they hadn't done anything as far as any testing whatsoever. I'm like, oh dang, um, you know, uh, you're brave. But anyway, um, we'll uh, shift gears a little bit. So, all right, so we've talked a little bit about the value proposition for medical yeah. device product development for startups. Um, yeah. Let's kind of look through a different lens. I'm an established company. I, I've mm-hmm. already got products to market. I've I've been through this time, maybe time and time again. Uh, how is the value proposition different? Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the market value proposition is only marginally different. I think, you know, obviously these established companies have existing distribution channels and relationships. So they have the opportunity to drop something into that existing channel that a startup wouldn't have. So there's there's some of that. Uh, and I'm not really an expert on market strategy, but, you know, those are just the things that we observe and maybe common sense. But I think in terms of a project and maybe seeing through that same lens of equity preservation. Obviously, a in a corporate setting, the person who owns this product is going to be a product manager probably within a division of the corporate company. And how do they win in this whole situation? Basically, there's, you know, whereas in a startup, you have equity rounds and certain dilution in a corporate setting, you basically get approval rounds where the, the corporation agrees to give more resources to allow a program to move forward, right? And how can you be as efficient as possible and also uh, give the greatest chance for this uh, opportunity to, to be able to move forward? And uh, so, you know, from, a, from an engineer working on a program, in some ways, it's not that different. Like, we still got to be super efficient. We got to be focused on whatever they value in the next milestone. But we just have to recognize that this notion that uh, future money is is cheaper than current money doesn't really apply. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And and it seems like if I'm looking at it from from an established company lens, not not that this doesn't have importance to the startup, but it seems like my emphasis is probably more heavily skewed towards regulatory processes and submissions and getting clearance. Would you agree? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that uh, yeah. So they, they they that's right. Whereas a startup company is going to have some big holes that they don't even recognize in many cases, right? So we have to kind of support them to to, to point out the places where uh, maybe they're not as strong as they think they are, um, uh, where that they would you know some additional attention would 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 save them from falling off a off a cliff or into a hole. But uh, yeah, the the bigger guys are almost the other way around, right? They've got you know, very powerful legal teams that you spend endless time hashing out uh, non-disclosure and non-compete kind of provisions, and they've got their corporate regulatory will come in like a like a uh, like a ton of bricks, and uh, and want everything to be perfectly buttoned up, and uh, and that may or may not be lined up that well with what the uh, what that product manager needs at that moment. So, so it takes in some ways a more sophisticated type of communication. In the in the program management office on our side to be able to work with the corporation so that uh, we can recognize the various different influencers and players and how much influence they have and how and how to satisfy what they need without uh, uh, compromising what you know the product manager really needs for success. 
Very cool. So folks want to remind you, I'm talking to Scott Phillips. Scott is the CEO of Starfish Medical. Starfish Medical is a leading uh, service provider and, and medical device design company. And as we learned just a few minutes ago, they do more than design. They, they help you run uh, and establish sound business practices in your endeavors to bring new products to market. Uh, and, uh, you know, a, a big part of, of the product development process in the medical device industry you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about design controls and ISO 14971 risk management and how that all plays in. And certainly if, if as we talk today and, and even beyond today, uh, I want you to, to know the Greenlight Guru EQMS software platform. We've designed this platform specifically for the medical device industry by medical device professionals. So got workflows to manage traceability from a design perspective and integrate that with risk as well as you know all the the post market needs that you're you're going to get into at some point in time whenever you launch your product. So Scott, you know, kind of diving back in, I mean we've touched a little bit on on the established company lens, the startup lens, and, and through the conversation we've talked a little bit about where they're the same and the, and where they're different. Any other thoughts that you have about sort of the pros and cons or the yin and the yang or, or the, the complementary or contradictory aspects of product development depending on, on the shape and size of company? Yeah, so, well, so we've talked a little bit about the difference, this equity preservation idea and so on. I think that the, one of the biggest things is that uh, is in the product management role that uh, startups probably in many cases, uh, some of them are product managers that, that came out, but often they're technology experts. They don't even quite realize what the product management role is. So uh, yeah. uh, dialing in that value proposition, actually, there's a, there's a couple of things. So, so, so that, that's one of the things. Like when we start a relationship with a company like that, it often starts with people saying, we want a box this shape and it's going to be this long. It's going to have these buttons on the front. And by the time, and we ask a few questions like, so, okay, we understand that. So how many users have you talked to so far? And, and how confident are you that this is really going to address their needs? And what regulatory uh, are you complying with so far? And do you have a quality system? And uh, usually somewhere in that mix of discussion, there's, there's a recognition that, in fact, the, the, the relationship should be a little different than how they envisioned it, uh, that we have a lot more to help them with. And then it becomes a more cooperative uh, engagement to try to work together to, to have them be successful, right? And and some of those things are things that would fall into the bucket of product management. Like if you haven't talked to 50 or 100 users yet, then it would be a beneficial to have a couple of our top technical people go to the field with you and go talk to them because we have a bring up perspective that uh, you don't have a background in what it takes to commercialize one. And there's a ton to be added in that respect. But yeah. and, and when you're talking to a corporate client, they have a product management role. Probably somebody who's been well-trained. They know that they want us to go in the field and uh, go talk to the end users because, you know, products, you know, the, the idea that you write down 30 pages of specs and give it to an engineer and out comes the perfect thing is... <laughs> Is actually not how it works. And, uh, no. <laughs> I, well, I, as you were sharing that, I, I was uh, reminiscing a bit about uh, very early on in my career. I, I did the company I was working for at the time. I mean, you you would call them a, uh, today. You would call them a large 
corporate entity, I guess you would probably call them that 20 years ago, but we behaved um, very much like a startup. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know why they still behave that way. I don't know. I think it's just because they were founded by an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur is still very involved in the business. But anyway, I remember getting, I mentioned a moment ago, the prototype from uh, a doctor, you know, that something that was taped and glued together. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically uh, my first, experience or two, I basically took that prototype from this key opinion leader and I, you know, quote, engineered it in a way that could be manufactured, you know, got through all the hurdles, you know, all the design control activities, regulatory submissions, things of that nature, launched the product with a thud because it was only designed for that one user. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I tried not to make that mistake again because, you know, I think humans are, uh, not all, but a lot of humans are, are very good about solving their problems in the form of a prototype or an idea or a concept. Um, but you need to vet that idea beyond just that one key opinion leader. That is so, that's absolutely, well, i am always got that little red flag ready to start waving as soon as I hear any story like that. In fact, I was talking to a company last week and they had really incorporated one particular patient as their sort of mission in life. And when they talked about that, the patient was the face of the company and their mission in life was to help this patient. The red flag started going for me, like, oh my gosh, like that's very admirable in one sense, but how confident are you uh, that if you talk to a hundred people that the stories would all be similar enough to this person that you should, that you understand what they all need. Yeah. And, uh, and how open are you going to be in that situation to actually shift to be what they need? I think you, it's very easy to close your mind and jump to conclusions. And that, yeah. And as you say, it's particularly KOL type uh, doctors uh, are prone to this kind of risk because they really, in their mind, they are the market. They come to embody the market. And that's one of our sort of rhetorical challenges early on is to try to uh, uh, help them understand that uh, they're way more skilled than the market. And if they're a KOL doctor, chances are they're one of the top doctors in their field. But their market is not all top doctors like them. They're sort of middle of the road kind of doctors who maybe only do that type of surgery once every month and not every day. Right, right. So it's important, folks, um, that especially for those out there who who may be startups um, that are based on a a technology or, or research that, you know, maybe you've had a hand in from day one is cast a wider net get more feedback and, and input from others that are in, in that market space. At the end of the day, you're going to go through a lot of challenges, a lot of trials, a lot of tribulations in bringing a new product to market and a lot of cost. And, you know, hopefully you've done a good job of preserving your equity along the way. And you want that equity and that, that value of that product and the quality of life impact to be as great as it possibly can once you get there. So, do a little bit of your homework up front, you know, uh, leverage experts in this space like Scott and his team at Starfish Medical. Scott, any other um, final words before we wrap up today's uh, podcast? Oh, that's a great question. I was going to dive into value proposition, but that would be more of a 10-minute extension. So my final words, honestly, it's been a total pleasure to uh, to talk to you, explore some of these themes. I guess my, my uh, final word would just be think broadly and talk to a lot of people and realize that 
you know, don't fall in love with your ideas. If you're open to, to talk to a lot of people and hearing what they have to say and be open to the idea that maybe people will not be willing to pay for your thing or for the benefit that you bring and use that as an opportunity to uh, find the thing that will. Yeah, that's great advice. And folks, Scott's right. We're just barely skipping the surface on this topic of value proposition for medical device product development. You know, of course, we're talking to an expert in this field, Scott Phillips at Starfish Medical. Reach out to him. We'll include information about Starfish Medical in the post that accompanies this podcast. And I really want to thank Scott for being my guest today. As always, if you have uh, ideas, suggestions, comments uh, about things that, that you'd like to hear about on the Global Medical Device Podcast or other content pieces uh, that we can put out through Greenlight Guru, just let me know. Uh, happy to take that feedback. And you know, this is for you and, and happy to, to help provide guidance, direction, and, and education on the things that you're trying to do in the medical device industry. As always, this is your host, the founder of VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight. Guru John Spear, and you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.